ourselves as we go into the next millennium and this era that Peter Drucker calls the era of the three C's, accelerated change, overwhelming complexity and tremendous competition. Yes, yes, yes. Hello, lovely people and welcome to another episode of the Kiskoka Podcast. As you know, if this is your first time here, you are welcome. If you always listen, please keep listening. As you know, we are here to demystify the era of the three C's, accelerated change, overwhelming complexity, tremendous competition. So thank you for making it to this new episode and feel free to reach out to me feel free to contact me on any of my social media platforms twitter instagram tiktok the chris coca and yeah always available to listen to your feedback and also listen to your comments i hope you enjoyed this episode bye my check my bad my bad <laughs> hi, hi, hi 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 my check Hello guys, welcome to another episode of the Chris Koga podcast. I think we're just not changing the name. Welcome to another episode with Ikea and Richmond, depending on what you guys like. <laughs> so it's true. She does add me to the intro. Yeah, we'll add it to it. So welcome to another episode of Ikea and Richmond, right? Or Ikea and Chris Koga, or the Chris Koga and Ikea. Depending. So hi guys. Uh happy new month <laughs> to everybody. We have done Three over three, caught like three over three, January to March, April to June, July to September. And we are in October. Happy new month to everybody. And I mean, it's, it's, it's a lot of like gratitude and also, I mean, if you are here, if you are alive and you are listening to this, happy new month to you. And I know the, the year has been crazy this year. Life has slapped me. Like, I don't even know what this life is doing to me, Seth, but... We'll talk about that later. Um, Ika, do you want to wish our people happy new month before I start with the intro? When you said the life has been doing you, I just said over here too, because <laughs> we are seeing top, but we are not seeing top. Happy new month, everybody. <laughs> Welcome to we are almost at the end of the year, the, the yearly battle. So welcome <laughs> to October and I, I don't know, I'm just happy to be here. I'm alive. That's the best thing. So, yeah, I'm yes, alive. I hope everybody feels the same way. Yeah. So, um, you know, today someone met me and the person came to thank me that, oh, I like the upbringing episode. It gave me new perspectives on life, on how I should more like be people. And I'm like, oh, okay, we thank God. We thank God. So, um, everyone, we thank you for loving those episodes my lovely ikia went to hunt the guests for us so we have some accolades on that side so for today october we have we have played too much now let's get back let's be serious (laughs) so for (laughs) i mean there's been a topic on my heart and i want us to talk about it you know, it's all, we are ending the year, right? And there are a lot of questions. How have you, how's your year been? And are you, are you on path? Are you discovering like your purpose and all these kind of things? Those who know me, you know me, I like purpose and all those kind of things because if you are not happy, I, I believe like people should be happy with what you do in life and all. So for today, I have an amazing guest. Obviously we have amazing guests. The way I met him, it was interesting. 
So I used to be a, a, a radio host at Radio Angelus. I don't know if you, if you know that. And I used to host a show. And my friend said, oh, they want to come. And I met her and she and her, and her very good friend, Reverend Father, who's with us today. And that's when we started talking. And I told Father, I'll come for a retreat. And that's that's the whole different journey of how I started like my retreat life and everything. I became friends with the Jesuits. So um, yeah, there's a whole different ball game altogether, but we'll not go deep there. But today's episode uh, is more about like let's maybe the should I name it the principle and foundation since we are having a Jesuit. So before we continue, today we have a, a Jesuit priest or a Catholic priest with us. And we are going to dive deep more into, I mean, discerning our purpose, God in our daily lives, our, our principle and foundation of our lives. Hi, Father. You are welcome to the Chris Coca podcast. Hey, hi, Chris. And hi, Ekoa. Hi, Father. Um, uh, thank you for having me. Uh, it's really a pleasure to be here. Yeah, you are welcome. Before we... So hit- thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I want to tell my listeners before even we started recording the episode, Charlie Father was giving us some, some gist. Be I want you people to hear, so I have to stop him to like make you people hear and like all. Oh, so, uh, our initial conversation, right? No, but Father, before we even um start, like thank you for introducing yourself and thank you for making time to be here. But one question out of this like episode: What inspired you to be a priest? That should be the first thing I ask before we continue to our it's true it's true uh, that i was going to ask that once <laughs> we are in the same spirit i've always wondered i've always wondered like do you go yourself or what happens what you tell us your <laughs> tell us because that will drive the conversation for our people we've not even the referee has not even declared the match and i already have an uppercut ah <laughs> uh, well it's it's difficult to say. I remember when I got ordained, I had to write a short bio. And one of the first lines that began that began it was, I didn't hear any voice in the, <laughs> in the burning bush <laughs> that invited me to remove my sandals and those type of things. I really, it wasn't really like that. It was, it was a very, uh, how would I put it? Ordinary journey, really. Um, but you know, in a sense, not also very ordinary. I call it more of a human journey rather than this um, more spiritual or religious one. Because you know, one of the things I tell people and they get shocked is that I wasn't even born a Catholic. I was, I'm a convert. So I was born. By the time I was born, my parents were not even Christians at that moment. We became Christians later, and then later I became a Catholic, and then later I started thinking about the priesthood. But I see everything as one continual search that has led up to here, and that still continues, I, I believe. Um, so I wouldn't say one thing just happened from the blues and led me here. I think it's been a journey. Uh, it's been a journey um, of continual discernment. Right? Some I had to do with my parents and with my family, but at some point I needed to start discerning on my own and start thinking about what do I want to do with my life, you know. Um, And 
as far as the priesthood is concerned, you know, at the time I made the decision, I was already a Catholic. We were already converted into the Catholic Church. I had been baptized, I had received communion, I had done my confirmation, or at least almost about to do it. And then, but I was also in this age of youth and adolescence, you know, and I was beginning to ask questions about what I wanted to do with my life. <laughs> uh, not only in terms of a career, but in terms of something beyond just here. Uh, there are a series of things I think God sent my way that were helpful in discernment. And one of it is, you know, I like telling the story. One of it was the day I, I because I worked briefly after high school, waiting to enter the university. I, was the day I saw a child die. <laughs> wow. so, uh, I was working in a lab and there I was and a lot of things happened. But there I was, I was with the mom and with the child and... And the child took a breath, and that was it. <laughs> that was it. Wow. Just like that. Yeah, it hit me like really, really. You know, it was it was tough because what hit me was how easy it was. It was just a breath. <laughs> it was just a breath. Yeah. Uh, what I knew, I was so struck. My boss had to give me the day off actually because I came back and I was. Um, and I know what began to happen afterwards was that when I got home, I began to, because my dad used to have a lot of books on philosophy, uh, collections of different books on philosophy, history of ancient philosophy, them ridiculous. I used to just look at them and toss them around. But after that event, I went back and I found myself pouring over these books. <laughs> you know, and reading them and just wondering to myself, what, what, what's this about? Um, and then I began to, you know, meet people who were also asking this kind of questions, uh, to read books, and then other events began to get in the way more and more until I got to a point where I felt this was what I wanted to do. And I took, I took a job. You took a job. And that's, that's been it. <laughs> I, I, I like I like how we are going because even our initial conversation, um, you the whole philosophy, I mean, all these hustle and tussle, we are all doing, even what you were saying, that the meaning of man even is like a question, right? And I know there have been books mm -hmm. like Man's Search for Meaning. At the end of the day, everybody's mm -hmm. looking for like purpose and meaning. Can you go back to that Greek word where you're just telling us about like purpose, meaning in the garden, what man means? then I, I'm able to pick up from there for our subsequent questions. Oh. Yeah. oh, yeah, I was just, um, you know, following up with our, the way our conversation was going then, that in our world today, it's no longer fancy or woke to ask the deep questions, right? right. Uh, people just go with the trend, you know. Like, thinking these days is like following a tweet. You know, it just, it comes, you tweet it back. <laughs> I think I like this. There's no time to like, really. <laughs> yeah. There's no time to really. And when you do that, people think you're weird and you're being old fashioned. But that's what life is about. We have to sit down and ask the existential questions. For the Hebrews, that's what it means to be man. There is, to be a man is to carry a question deep down in your heart. And that's the idea of man in the Garden of Eden, Adama. For some Hebrew thinkers, at the heart of the meaning of that name, Adama, is somebody who's constantly self-interrogating. 
So when you see the image of God walking into the garden, it's not necessarily a garden. It could be a, uh, a figure of the heart of a human being. And God is entering that heart and asking the question, not the question about location or GPS tracking. It's where are you? Where are you? And that question can be read as, what are you doing with gifts? And, and so on. And it is that question, that constant wrestling with that question that God asks at the center of our hearts that defines our humanity. The moment we stop asking it, we become something less than, than what we are called to be. So when the Greeks who say an unexamined life is not worth living, that's what they actually mean. In fact, an unexamined life is no life at all. <laughs> it's not that it's no worth living. It's not, it's no life at all. So it's that constant self-interrogation at the heart of in, in our being. That's what essentially helps us on the journey of constantly being uh, a human being. Uh, and it's not a comfortable process to answer, to respond to those questions. That's why for the Hebrews, when they say, God said to Adam and Adam and Eve, where are you? And they went to hide. That's what we do. It's not, it's, not, it's not fun. And these days it has become even easier to hide. You can hide behind a tweet. You can hide behind uh, a trend. You can throw around fancy words uh, that make you look smart, but that doesn't show that you have depth of thought. Um, you can follow the crowd. You can believe in anything. You, you believe there is a God. You believe there is no God. You believe it, something is good and at the same time not good. And nobody would disturb you. It's, it's quite easy these days to, to hide, uh, as it were. But that's, we can't avoid that. That's what it means to be human. And that's what our humanity calls us to at every, every moment. And that's the heart of discernment, too. Um, if, if I don't have any question, there can be no discernment. I remember when we were, because uh, part of our training is you have to take a program in philosophy. And in the philosophy class, one of the things the professors will first tell you as you walk in is that your questions are more important than your answers. <laughs> so there are some courses you walk into and the professor will ask you, what question has brought you here? Right. And if you have not brought any question to the class, he will already tell you from the beginning, you're not going to get anything out of this. So you're not here to memorize and repeat concepts. You're here to engage, to wrestle, you know, almost like Jacob wrestling with God until uh, his, uh, his muscles tore. But that's, that's, that's life. And that's the foundation for discernment. That's the foundation for discernment. Wow. So if, if you don't have any question, there'll be no um, discernment. Now, the next thing is, what, what, what is the right question to ask? You know, because I, I mean, um, Father Edmund shared a book with me, The Learning to Hear with the Heart, right? And I, I agree with what you said at, at the beginning. The first thing is to ask a question, right? What, but now they also moved on to talk about asking the right questions. You know, as you rightly said, our generation is it's easy to hide behind tweets. It's easy to like think like a tweet. <laughs> like we are just thinking like that. And these days we are, we are not like, we are very superficial. We don't go into the deep things, right? But for someone like us, and I mean, young people listening to this podcast and all, if we want to start asking questions, I mean, I'll just felt like, where do we start from and what kind of questions should we ask? Because right now we are at the point where we are ending the year. 
So it's more like, okay, how did my year turn out? Am I living my purpose? Did I achieve? Right now, everything is more achieve, 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 right? But in the midst of all this achieve, 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 how can we start asking the questions, the right questions? For you, what are, or what do you think are the right questions? In as much as you say there are no wrong answers or there are no right answers, but what are the right questions to ask at this foundation level? Mm-hmm. That's that's a very tough question. <laughs> that's a very tough question. Yeah. Okay. Like personally, I feel um, when it comes to questions, there are actually no right or wrong questions. Okay. Right? Answers can be wrong or right, uh, or responses can be wrong or right. They can be off the mark or a little off the mark or a little close to the mark, depending on what you're using as um, a yardstick, right? But I don't think there are wrong or right questions because questions are like the movement of the spirit within us and you can't tell the spirit how to speak and what to ask, right? Um, You know, when we say conscience, for instance, (laughs) you know, that's what it is within us. You know, some philosophers and theologians will say, um, we are marked fundamentally by by that desire to to know, and that desire to know of unfolds itself itself in questions, right? So that there's something spiritual about it. There's something human about it. There's something transcendent and transcendental about it. And by this big word, I just mean something that pulls us beyond ourselves, right? That does not allow us to locate ourselves only where we are, but that moves us. That's what, when Adam and Eve are in the Garden of Eden, the question, where are you, is not just a question to locate themselves in the garden, but that question forces them to move beyond, to transcend themselves. And it is in that movement of transcendence that you have a spiritual experience or spiritual encounter with God. And as such, nobody can tell you (laughs) how it should be. However, the spiritual life is about learning how to uh, ask those questions, right? So it's true that there are no right or wrong questions, but it's also true that we learn how to ask questions, right? We learn how to self-interrogate, uh, because if we don't learn how to do that, we just, uh, you know, it's one of the things we discover when you when you find <laughs> someone who has done a little philosophy, everything, is just asking why, 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 or why is that, why is that? And then it looks very smart, right? Right. Uh, but the, the spiritual life is about not just asking any question anyhow, but it's learning how to follow through with the questions, right? Learning how to know how to properly ask questions. And there are no right or wrong questions, but there's a way to properly interrogate ourselves. So let's take, for example, the Pope just did a recent catechesis on discernment. He's been doing catechesis on discernment. And the second one he did was on discernment. He's very fascinated about it. And one of the points he made in the, it's actually released, so it's on the Vatican website. You can just check and download and take a look at it. And he began the catechesis on discernment by, you know, for us Jesuits, you look at the life of St. Ignatius, right? Right. Uh, and we know the story of St. Ignatius very well. This man, you know, he all his life, he had dreamt of being uh, a great man, of being successful. You have just like you've mentioned, right? <laughs> and and being successful is not just a desire in his heart, 
we all we there are philosophers who tell you our desires are also socially constructed, right? So I'm sure anybody who tells you I want to be successful, by the time you start listening to the person, you discover, oh, it is embedded in how his family talks, it's embedded in Ghanaian society, in consumer culture, in all those things. So those desires are socially constructed in the, in the case of Ignatius as well. But he goes to battle and he's driven by these desires. And then he has an accident in battle. You know, a cannonball smashes his, his uh, right leg and, and shatters it and affects the other one. And Ignatius comes back from this experience and he's recuperating in, in, in bed. And he asks to get books to read, right? And he's reading the books. He's reading the books. And in the process of reading it, he begins to notice different kinds of desires within his, uh, within, his, within his heart. And that's the beginning of the whole tradition of discernment, right? He begins to notice that when he reads the books that are part of the cultural uh, imagination that has shaped his desires, he feels excited, but the excitement does not last, right? But when he reads other books on the life of the saints, he feels a little excited, a little consolation, but this one lasts longer. And he began to ask a question. Why is this different? Why do I feel this way when I read this and feel this way when I read this, you see? But beyond all that, he's also asking another question. What am I doing on this hospital bed? What am I doing on this bed of recuperation, right? And he's also asking other questions. And this, uh, this question include, what is success? What does it mean to be successful, <laughs> right? I have given my whole life, I went into battle for this model of success. I wanted to be a soldier, a stand-up man. And now I am weighing this model of success with another imagination of success. And I'm noticing different uh, feelings. I'm noticing different movements. Why is this happening? So you see, he's questioning everything. And in terms of that capacity to question and to notice the difference, in response to those questions, that discernment is possible, that reflection is possible. So that, that's it. And you know, the whole of Ignatian discernment is about learning how to ask that question. For instance, why are we here having this conversation? <laughs> why are we even here having this conversation in the first place? We could be having any, a conversation on any topic, you see. Did this just pop out of your head? Was it an accident? How did it happen that we had this conversation, right? Uh, Chris was mentioning how we met, right? And it's possible to say we met accidentally. You know, this happened, this happened, this happened, just like a, a collection of probabilities. But is it really, is it really the case? How did it happen that way? And what was it that happened during that encounter that motivated us to act in different ways? You see, so most of the things we think are accidents in our life, discernment helps us to begin to interrogate them in such a way that we begin to see the hand of God daring, that we begin to find meaning uh, there from. Otherwise, our lives will be a series of accidents. You know what I mean? Oh, I, I could have met, uh, how did you marry? <laughs> how did you get married to the person you got, oh, uh, you see, in high school, there were three of us, but it just so happened. It just so happened. <laughs> <laughs> it just so happened. <laughs> no, I think it's, it's, a, it's a deep question because <laughs> I was thinking about it. How, you know, I met Ikea last year, like just 
on Instagram. Just I don't know, like the lovely people I get to meet. Just a friend posted that she loved my podcast, and I reached out. Like that was it. And oh my goodness, I have to start sitting down to ask Ikra, why are you here? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> because it, it things do not just so happen to happen. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, yes, there are accidents in lives. Yes, there are contingencies. But that's the question of discernment begins by recognition of contingency and then asking about the underneath, underneath that contingency. What is the rationale? What is the force? What is the meaning? What is evolving underneath this? And most of the religions of the world, the big religions of the world, began as discernment. I like this. Uh, what is it, uh, Bernard Lonergan. Bernard Lonergan is a Jesuit philosopher and theologian. And one of the ways he defines religion, most thinkers define religion as uh, a system of belief and all that, right? Uh, others will talk about God, you know, uh, a system where there is a fundamental belief in the existence of a supreme being and what, what, what not. But Lonergan says that religion is fundamentally a reflection on conversion, right? right. And what is conversion for Lonergan? Conversion for Lonergan is not about repentance, right? Uh, you know, because, you know, the way we read Mark's gospel, for instance, 115, oh, repent and believe the good news, be converted. <laughs> no, <laughs> conversion for Lonergan means, the actually, another word for it basically is discernment, that capacity to take charge of your life and not be blown away as if you are living life like uh, something that is being carried by the waves of life, right? But that things are no longer just accidents, that, but that you take responsibility for reflecting on your experience, making decisions, and continually falling in love with God. That for Lonergan is what religion is about. It's about studying the ways in which people had an experience of conversion or discernment. So when you read, whether it's Abraham or, or whether you read the story of Moses or Confucius, wherever, whatever story we are reading, yes, it's an ex- encounter with a supreme being, but that's not the fundamental. It's fundamentally about how people, whether it is true encounter with a supreme being or true encounter with suffering, like in the case of uh, Buddhism, it's, it was an encounter with suffering and the existential realities of life. But now, how does it lead this person to, in Lonergan sense, conversion? But in this sense, we are talking about discernment, uh, this constant reflection and interrogation of oneself in the presence of the reality we call life and the presence of God or the Holy Spirit in the Christian tradition. And that's what fundamentally it's about. Uh, and without that, we will just be following doctrines. <laughs> Without that, we'll just be following doctrines and and fundamentalism, as it were, would be knocking at the door. <laughs> yeah. Wow, wow! I I I I loved how you have worked with us from the beginning. Like I kept like, where are you? Keeps. I think the first time I have heard the perspective on where are you. <laughs> I have never thought about like, where are you in this sense? Like, where are you? And also you made mention of the fact that once we begin uh, to understand or uh, recognize that things are not just um, accidents, we can just continually um, fall in love with God. 
Yeah, so um, I mean, knowing, knowing all these things, that nothing is just an accident, right? Um, for me, right now, there's a lot of noise in the system. Mm -hmm. And I say because for me, I'm grateful for, I mean, like my first retreats, I mean, at the center, where I began to, okay, maybe like take time and like reflect. But Father, the truth is sometimes I get lost. <laughs> like you are chasing break pressure, this left, right. And you, it's only when you are tired or something that you get to think. And at the beginning, you mentioned that it is hard to ask these questions because I've realized when you begin to ask these questions, um, you get like painful feedback or is a painful process because mm -hmm. at, at this stage you get to ask like am I making the right decisions in life am I even moving forward like what is all these things for I, I've got to sit where I ask that question and sometimes there's a tendency I want to run away like Adam like where are you I don't want to come to myself or I don't want to come closer because in getting closer you see who you really are and you, you want to flee from yourself like we mm -hmm. always want to flee from ourselves, from ourselves, mm -hmm. right? So how do we, how do we begin to train ourselves or prepare ourselves that we don't flee from ourselves? Because at this point, when God asks Adam, "Where are you?" It's not a matter of I'm coming to condemn you. I'm coming to judge you. They, they even condemn themselves before God condemned them. Exactly. <laughs> like exactly. that's what I feel happens in December. Like we condemn ourselves. I condemn myself before I even start to get to know where I am or like all these things. So for me, the question is, how do I not run away from myself? Because now it's easy to run away from myself. The noise. Mm -hmm. I just, I mean, Instagram. I can spend endless time on Instagram, and they'll be over in five hours. I'll spend six. 10 hours so work instagram sleep and everything how do i not constantly run away from myself how do i face myself and begin to ask the questions even though it is like very painful yeah that's that's a very solid question um yeah very 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 solid question and you know when actually when i looked at the the, the topic you you gave right right um on mind or the holy spirit yeah I, I was very fascinated because in as much as i think about those things it's the first time i had you had forced me to think about them together right and i still have to sit down and say okay where where is this coming from <laughs> of all the topics that chris coker could have picked this is the one he's asking me to think about together right and that's because you know in, especially in the area of philosophy or critical thoughts, the mind has become a very big conceptual category now, right? For research, uh, neuroscience, consciousness studies, what, what, what. So the mind is really, really big, right? And then when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we often limit the Holy Spirit to what religious people talk about, right? And there is this whole ghost-like interpretation of the Holy Spirit, you know, <laughs> this thing that... The gist in you is talking, I love that. <laughs> Yeah, is this thing that jumps into the room <laughs> when we start praying, especially if we're speaking in tongues? Yeah. But just just like in the, in people are beginning to realize, um, the Holy Spirit is actually part of what it means for us to be human in the way that God wills us to be. Right. 
So we cannot technically say mind or the Holy Spirit. It, it's really both and, right? It's really both and. Uh, and, you know, the Holy Spirit is involved in part of how we use our mind in a way that makes us human. And part of how we, you know, there are a lot of people that will talk about, for instance, levels of consciousness. You know, initially there was this whole level, uh, seven forms of intelligence, right? And now we hear levels of consciousness. Those in Buddhist training will say, you know, you have to tap into your chakras. Inner, inner intelligence. Exactly, right. And sincerely, that's how I, I look at it. It starts in Igbo uh, metaphysics or anthropology. They would say every human being has within himself uh, the chi, right? Uh, which is like the small God or the mark of God in the person's soul. And I think in Accra anthropology, there is still the same, you know, Accra, uh, Sum Sum, and and and, mm -hmm. and, and all. So, <laughs> so the, the Holy Spirit is not alien to humanity, right? The Holy Spirit is not alien to man, right? The Holy Spirit is not alien to womanhood, right? So we are human because there is the Holy Spirit in us. Right? So we're not just mind, right? And why am I referring back to this? Uh, why I'm referring back to this is when you read um, the Gospels, uh, for instance, uh, when you read Mark's Gospel, right, uh, you would hear Mark 15. Mark is usually referred to as the Gospel of Urgency, right? At the very beginning of the Gospel of Mark, you will hear repent and believe in the good news, right? Repent and believe in the good news. And you find trends of uh, strands of that in John's gospel. John's gospel is looked at as a gospel where there are two strands of meaning. Jesus is always talking at two levels. So for instance, the whole conversation about being born again, right? There is a high level of interpretation going on, but there's also a low level of interpretation going on. There are people who are understanding being born again as to be reborn physically, biologically. Yet at the same time, there is another higher conversation going on as this deeper spiritual renewal that, you know. But the thing in John's gospel is, it's not, John is not saying one is correct, the other is not correct. Those conversations are happening at the same time. Now let's go back to Mark's gospel and why I'm referring to it now. In Mark's gospel, the word used for uh, repent and believe in the good news in the Greek is metanoia, right? Metanoia. Huh? And normally in our Bible translation, metanoia is translated as uh, repentance or conversion, right? But when you go to back to the Greek and look at it, metanoia is not simply repentance, right? Or conversion. Meta in the Greek is after, just like Aristotle's metaphysics is the books Aristotle wrote after a collection of books he called Fuzis, right? So, after fuzis comes metaphysis. After the fuzis, beyond the fuzis comes the metaphysis. So metanoia is after noia. And what is noia? Noia is mind. In the Greek, nous, noia, mind. So when Jesus, when in Mark's gospel, we hear something like repent or metanoia and believe in the good news. No, it's not, it's not just saying repent. It is saying, it's saying go to the bigger mind. You see, so mind and the Holy Spirit, you see, don't remain in mind, go up, go to the beyond mind, right? Go to the bigger mind, go to the bigger heart, right? That's where you look at reality from. That's where you look at reality from. 
And the whole of the gospel, that's what the, the gospels are inviting us to, not to look at life through the small mind, but to go to the bigger mind. And what is the bigger mind? The bigger mind is the mind of God himself, right? The mind of God himself. And how is that related to discernment? Until we learn to see ourselves as God sees us, discernment cannot begin. Wow. Until we see ourselves as God sees us, discernment cannot begin. Right. So at the foundation of discernment is who am I? <laughs> who am I fundamentally? And that question cannot be answered by just asking questions. It's a question that is answered by an encounter, right? And for us Christians, that encounter is an encounter with the living God, the one who shows us who we are in his son. And that says, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. You, we are the beloved of God. And it's not something we know mentally. It's something we know from our hearts. Huh? It's something we know deep down without knowing. Something we feel and we have experienced and touched. And that's what we celebrate in liturgies. Liturgies are a way for us to feel that response of God to us in such a way that it becomes a part of our very flesh and bones and our living, right? And that is it. So it's from that place of knowing who we are that we can now begin to make choices. I, I give people this funny example, and it's usually a very ridiculous one, but sometimes it, it's, it's actually the case. When we read the Gospels, for instance, you will notice that there is a chronology of certain events in the life of Christ, right? So first is uh, he goes into the wilderness and he, he, he was baptized, right? Then he goes into the wilderness, right, where he was tempted. And then if you're reading Luke's version, after he's tempted, he enters the synagogue on the Sabbath and collects the, uh, what do they call it, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah and says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me, what, what, what. Now, let's go back to the baptism. There are different ways of interpreting the baptism of Jesus, right? Some people say he was baptized to fulfill all righteousness. Okay, I agree with that. In fact, in some teachings of the church, that they say that. Uh, they also say he was baptized to purify the waters of baptism. Okay, we could say that. And in some teachings of the church, they say that. But if you read someone like Richard Rohr, Richard Rohr will tell you that creation itself is the first incarnation. And what that means is that the waters of baptism are already purified from all creation. <laughs> but I, I'm not throwing this theology under the pulse. I'm just trying to show alternative views. But yeah. there is uh, this group of theologians who, for instance, will tell you that the baptism of Jesus is the kind of, ex in that baptism is the kind of experience that Jesus has with God that we human beings are invited into, right? Are being invited into. And what is that experience? It's the experience that where God himself tells us who we are, right? You are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. You are my beloved daughter in whom I am well pleased, right? And that's the foundational religious experience. For Jesus, it happened at 30, and immediately after that, he's tempted in the wilderness and his ministry begins, right? He now knows who he is. And now let's go to the temptation. He was presented with three temptations, and many theologians say those three temptations are temptations to uh, wealth, honor, and pride. That's correct, I agree. <laughs> but 
I, I think there's something deeper than that just going on, right? And where we find that something deeper that connects all the three temptations is in the prefix of the temptations. The temptations always begin with, if you are the son of God, you see, if you are the son of God. And where did Jesus hear he's the son of God? At, bapt At the baptism, right? So, in other words, if you are who you say you are, Right? If you are who you say you are, then do this. If you are who you say you are, then do this. If you are who you say you are, then do this. And what Jesus, in all the responses Jesus gave to the devil was basically to say, I don't have to do this in order to be who I am. I don't, I don't need to prove anything. I don't need to get a first class. I don't need to... Uh, celebrate my wedding uh, on the tabloids of the nation in order to prove that I am who I am. I don't need to get married at 25. I don't need to have a six-figure salary at this point. To, you see, so, and these are all discernment questions, but you see, they cannot happen if fundamentally the person does not know who he or she is. Now, if you don't know who you are, any wind can blow you, you see. <laughs> if you don't know who you are, any direction is a direction. And sometimes when I want to provoke people, I say, if you don't know who you are, you cannot tell me you are being tempted. You can tell me there is stimulus and response. Right? But it is not a temptation until it tries to question the, the, the foundation of your identity. Right. Okay. Mommy. Until it, if it doesn't do that, then you can't come and tell me you know, I saw, I saw, I saw this guy, and, and I'm a married woman, and I saw him, he's, he looked so handsome, and I felt like cheating on my, my like is that a temptation? Just if you have animals in the house, dogs or cats, just observe them. They too feel that, right? They feel that for the animals feel that they do courtship and all that. Right. It's yeah. only a temptation if there is something foundational and fundamental to you, to who you are, that it questions, that it places on a balance, that it that's when you can say, oh my God, <laughs> this is how this is what I think about myself. And this thing is questioning that. And I'm wrestling to live up to who I am, right? That's when you can fundamentally say it's a temptation, not just stimulus and response. It's like saying a cat is tempted by fish or a dog is tempted by bones. <laughs> uh, you know, that's not uh, yeah. So that's that's where the challenge is. That for a lot of young people, especially today, um, actually one of my interests when I was doing philosophy is what they call de decision making or decision science, right? And there is what they call, some researchers call the choice overload problem, right? Oh, okay. And that is that today, even I do, I practice that in my life. For instance, sometimes now when I buy clothes, I buy the same kind of clothes. <laughs> so, so that when I'm dressing up, I don't spend a lot of mental energy trying to choose what to wear. And the choice overload problem, that's basically what it addresses. It says that because we now have so many alternatives, we are, we are sometimes paralyzed in choosing. Decision fatigue. It's, it's too much. You have to choose this you know, because there are so many alternatives. There are so many career paths, right? And when I was a chaplain in a high school, because high school kids, they have to you know, choose a career path and make all these decisions. I had a child come into my office 
And she broke down and started crying, saying, you know, brother, how am I supposed to do this? I'm only a child and I'm supposed to make all these decisions. <laughs> that's, what, brother, that's what is happening to us right now. Like, too much overthinking gets me. Yeah. Like, what is all this? Oh. Exactly. Yeah. But the idea is this, that the point in making decisions and in discernment, the focus is not on the alternatives or the options. You see, the focus is on you and what, who are you and what are you becoming in the eyes of God. You remember you were quoting earlier on the principle and foundation. We are created to praise and reverence and serve God. And by this means to save our soul. Every other thing on the face of the earth is created to help us achieve this end for which we are created. Now let's go back and analyze that. We are created to praise, reverence and serve God. And by this means to save our soul. This is our identity and orientation, you see. Who yeah. are we? We are people who are created out of love, full stop. We are the beloved of God. Fundamentally, that's it, full stop, right? Now, every other thing is there to help us achieve this end, right? So if we know who we are and why we've been put on this earth and where we are going, who we are in ourselves, and we are content with that, then we begin to use or approach the options that we are confronted with in life and we're able to say, oh, you, yeah, you're a very nice option, but do you help me get where I'm going? You see, do you help me um, become more of the person that I know I am? Right? But let's suppose I don't even know who I am. I'm just floating, right? And I'm like Zacchaeus. I need to climb a tree in order to be visible, right? I'll be running around climbing every tree in Galilee, right? Every tree climbable I will climb just to look visible. <laughs> You know, yeah. and that's where the consumer culture have gotten us. The consumer culture, they don't sell goods, they sell identities. And that's what we have not strictly discerned, right? They sell identities. In Nigeria, for instance, we used to, we have a power problem. We have 4,000, less than 4,000 megawatts of electricity for more than 210 million people. So which means there's no more, there's not much power, right? And in most of the houses, we use generators, right? And I lived that way in my family, for instance, we had to use generators. And there was, there was a time I lived in this neighborhood where I had neighbors who seemed to want there to be a power cut. <laughs> right. Yeah. Because once the power goes, then there will be a difference between the boys and the men. <laughs> you see? <laughs> Oh my God. <laughs> so the generator is no longer um, something to give electricity, you see. It is something to ground an identity, you know. That's why in Nigeria they say generator, the local funny street name for it is I pass my neighbor. Ah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's how you show that you are you're reigning. You're right? okay. <laughs> you are the you are the chief. You know. And then you look at that and you say, where did we, how did we get here? People are living in countries where they don't need generators. Here we are defining who we are by the fact that our generator is on when our neighbor's generator is not <laughs> on. Right? And that's what happens when the identity, when we define who we are by the goods we possess or by the clubs we belong to or by the, uh, you know. So from at the heart of discernment, the indifference that is required for discernment, the interior freedom that is required for discernment is that 
I have to sit down and say, Temple, who are you? And are you, is that enough for you? Are you content with that? So that's now the foundation. That's like the rock on which we can stand and then begin to negotiate the multiplicity of alternatives that life throws at us. And the alternatives narrow down when we are able to resolve this one fundamental challenge. If we don't, then the alternative, any alternative will jump. I look at Chris, Chris, Chris is now doing podcasts and he looks so cool. He looks cooler than me. So I jumped to podcast. Aqua is now on television. <laughs> and she looks cooler than me. I jumped to television. <laughs> you know, for Christ's sake. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. So there's no stop. There's no stop. And the funny thing is that the person keeps hollowing out and hollowing out and hollowing out until. Uh, there's nothing left. There's nothing left. Wow. I, I agree with the last one you said because that's the truth. Like that's the hard truth or the bitter truth is we are all trying to be what society wants us to be rather than what exactly we we want to be. And I think that's the number one reason causing a lot of all these songs, like um, I mean, all these sayings, adulthood is a scam. Like mm-hmm, pressing mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. we are now consuming a lot of what's an ideal um ideal life should be based on what we see and what we are consuming. So I I, I really want to say thank you for um these like points, these pointers, because for me, this is like a very big thing. Uh for the last part of the year, I'm like, what what should I do? Because it's like I'm chasing the wind. And I believe like the where are you is a starting point for me. Ika, do you have questions? <laughs> you know how? this episode this this episode has it has made me think. I know <laughs> without even trying. <laughs> um, yeah. I like the fact that we've been speaking about discernment and reflection and how in this day and age with so much noise, the key to being able to achieve those two things is knowing yourself. I feel for most young people, that's one thing that we really struggle with, actually getting to know who we are. And because of that, we are stressed about a lot of things that in reality, if we knew ourselves, we would not really bother about. So now the thing is, for somebody who is trying to filter through the noise and actually find what it is they're supposed to be doing with regards to purpose how does one go about it let's say because the fact is not everybody is religious not everybody is christian so how does somebody who isn't in that category how does such a person identify or find a way to discern what they are supposed to do or who they are supposed to be because they're supposed to have an experience from what mm-hmm. father said they're supposed to have some kind of experience with probably a supreme being or something different that shakes them it makes them realize that this is where I'm supposed to be headed or this is what I'm supposed to be thinking about. So how do people find out 
that's the whole thing the whole process how <laughs> yeah that's a very big question <laughs> yes that's yeah because one. i feel like yeah. people yeah. try and then they stop because of one reason or the other so they keep going in circles and loops and then it's like an ending thing that keeps recurring yeah that's true that's true that's true yeah okay like the the and i think this is a question about you know how does discernment begin right for for most people yes like you know you're right completely on point that most of the time like even in the life of ignatius it had to a rupture had to happen right uh that forced him to sit down and see the life he was in for what it is right and when you read for instance the book of the prophet isaiah you know the conversion of isaiah i think in chapter seven you discover that Isaiah was a courtier uh, at court. And then the king he was serving, in quote, the king he had devoted his life to, died. <laughs> and if you are a courtier who has devoted your life to something fundamental, and then he goes. <laughs> so when he's saying, I, I, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, right? And for some of us, a King Uzziah has to die. Um, and when I say King Uzziah, I don't mean someone, but I mean something, our imagination of ourselves and the world, a false imagination we have built and have been fed with, right? Something has to disrupt it. And I think a lot has been happening to disrupt it. Let's take, for instance, I'm, I'm from Nigeria. And if you notice the last two years, Nigerian youths have all of a sudden woken up, right? And a part of this is because of the kind of disruption that COVID-19 caused in, in the world as a whole, right? It's like it put the world, especially the youth, on retreat, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> it them to just sit down, you know, and they are seeing people die left, right, and center, and they're asking themselves about what is all this about? And for someone in this tradition, since then, it's like things have not remained the same. I, I know the kind of conversations I had with young people when the pandemic was going on. When you talk with them, they were really asking existential questions that ordinarily they don't ask, right? So that's already one movement that is happening, that sometimes a King Uzziah has to die. Something has to be disrupted. Something on which we have placed all our hopes and foundations, and something we always think, this is so. Nothing can question it. This yeah. is how the world works. This is, this is it, you know. Something has to happen uh, on, underneath that. But at the same time, I believe in that God of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, right? right. <laughs> that for every human being, there is already somehow the spirit and the presence of God walking in the heart of the person and asking questions. <laughs> and when you meet people and they, they, are really, they really sit down to have a deep conversation, you can notice it, right? It's just a question of whether they are willing to continue to entertain it. Right. There is, there is that constant restlessness in the heart of every, and I'm sure you would have noticed it when you sit down with your friend and really had a deep conversation. For instance, I read a, a, an article written by, a, I think it was written by a seminarian who was studying, whether in Rome here or one of the, one of the areas in Europe, and he, he was invited to a party, and he mistakenly went wearing a collar. Right. I don't think he was advised that maybe he was also a holy seminarian. So he went with his collar. <laughs> so to a party of young people, university students, you know, so from 16 to 20 something, 
So when he got there, everybody was just looking at him like, who the hell is this guy? What is wrong with him? So they kept coming to him and say, you know what? You, do you believe in this crap? Uh, this institution that is abusing children and whatnot all over the place. Is that what you want to give your life to? And he said he was so ashamed. He couldn't talk with anybody. You know, he was just, he just went somewhere to stay. They were dancing. He couldn't dance with them. <laughs> he couldn't do anything. Now, but midway into the party, people, by the time people are taking two or three shots and we're now drunk, but sober. <laughs> Most of this students of the young people there were around him and they were asking real questions and sharing their hearts out. You know, like, uh, I'm, I've been going out with this guy. I don't even know where this relationship is going. I, I think I should leave him and do something with my life. Or my parents uh, in this marriage, I don't know whether it's working or I don't, I don't know what I'm doing with this career. Those deep questions began to come up and they're always there. So, but it's, it's like for these people, they became more sober when they were drunk. <laughs> so it, it's there and it's, it, it, you know, as a, as a priest, for instance, when I sit down with people and we're talking, sometimes we may even be talking about soccer or something. It, 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 it pops up. And if you're able to, you can highlight it for the person and then begin to have conversations. So I believe that's, that's, that's important because most of the, the, the King Uzziah dying does not happen often. It's rare, right? Like COVID, yeah. we're not going to have something like COVID <laughs> <laughs> anytime soon, although we have it with the Russia-Ukraine war. But this other persistent, restless presence of the spirit in our hearts that is asking us questions over and over again, that one is always there, right? But the question is, I think for young people, that's why I like the work you're doing. We need to create uh, spaces for intimacy. And when I say intimacy, it's not, it's not there. <laughs> yeah, we. <laughs> exactly. We get it, we get it. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes I tell some, I get some young people who come to me and say, you know, I've had sex many times. And by the time I talk with them a lot of, uh, deeper, I say, ah, I'm sorry, you've had sex many times, but you're still a virgin because you've never had intimacy. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> oh, <God>. But that's <laughs> a <nice. laughs> Right. So that space where young people can really, it's not even just young people, older people can sit down in a space of trust and really say what's going on in their heart. You see, you see, that's, that's what people need the most. And my experience in Europe here, you know, people say, oh, Europe is now a godless continent. There is secularism. Some call it post-secularism. Some call it plurality. But my experience here has been that that's what people are interested in. Right? That's what they are looking for. Those spaces where they can really share in vulnerability and be able to dissent. Because discernment is not something we do alone. Right? You need to be able to sit, find spaces or find someone with whom you can sit and be able to really say the things that are happening in your heart, the way they are, honestly, <laughs> honestly. And then the conversation can begin and then you can begin to notice what is going on. But the problem is that those spaces don't exist. Those spaces don't exist. And I think technology provides an avenue for us to do that. But the problem is that technology has become 
completely overtaken by the woke culture, you know. So it's about cancel, you know. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. you know <laughs> how many tweets back and forth, and and those opportunities are are, are lacking. Yeah. But I think something like this that you guys are doing creates those kind of spaces where people can have really truthful conversation, really truthful. In fact, uh, in thinking about your, your topic uh, on the mind and the Holy Spirit, you know, in the Catholic tradition, there are some sins against the Holy Spirit. And one of them is blasphemy, right? Right. right. And people, we miss the point when we focus on blasphemy. We, we miss the point because it becomes political and sometimes ridiculous even. But actually, the, the, when the church says that blasphemy is a sin against the Holy it's not the normal blasphemy we know. What they are saying is that, what the church is saying is that one of the sins against the Holy Spirit is dishonesty, right? right? When we cannot be true to ourselves, right? When we cannot see something and say this is black and, and say this is white, that's a sin against the Holy Spirit. And in the scripture, they say it's that that's the sin that cannot be forgiven. And the reason why it cannot be forgiven is not because God does not forgive. It is because someone who cannot say the truth cannot be helped. <laughs> you can't say it like in Alcoholics Anonymous. One of the first things that the alcoholic has to do is to say, my name is Temple and I'm an yeah. alcoholic. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's true. Right. You have to admit it. So when they say it's a sin against the Holy Spirit and it can't be forgiven, that's the, that's the significance that if I am not able to find a space where I can be truthful about where I stand, I can't be able to ask for or receive help from anybody. It's like there will be rain of graces everywhere, but I go out every time with an umbrella. <laughs> it, just, <laughs> it doesn't mean that God is not willing to forgive or reach out to me. It doesn't mean my family is not willing to reach out to me, but that... I can't be helped. Uh, in fact, one of my favorite theologians, he says, uh, you know, in, in our Christian imagination, we have this idea of heaven and hell, right? Um, mm -hmm. The righteous will go to heaven and the sinners yeah. will go to hell. He says, no, that's not actually true. That we always think that when we go to hell, we'll find people who are like, oh my God, I wasted my life. I no. <laughs> <laughs> According to him, the kind of people we see in hell are people who are there just saying how people in, in heaven are stupid. <laughs> Look at those stupid people there. <laughs> they are not in the right place. <laughs> because they still cannot say the truth about their condition. Wow. They still, even in hell, as the fire is burning them, they still cannot say, see, <laughs> I am in a mess and I need help. Wow. And so that's that's the um so more and more we need to create a space of intimacy. spaces, safe spaces without judgment. And it doesn't have to be religious. We don't have to talk about the Bible or the Holy Spirit or these nice things. No, all you have to do is just sit down and talk truthfully, and you'll be surprised at what, what happens. And discernment begins to become possible and 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 deep too. Uh, so that's that's what I think that people need those kind of spaces, and then lastly, I think people need to we need to we need to heat up the reading culture. <laughs> 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 yeah, we need to we need to because discernment is not just about spirituality; it's about human development. 
It's about societies, right? It's about social transformation. It's about, it's about everything. It's about everything. For instance, look at Africa and where we are. You know, we need deep discernment. We need leaders that can discern, right? But we can't do that if people are not constantly improving themselves. Ignatius began to discern by reading books, <laughs> by being exposed to different ideas, right? So if, if one is locked in only one tradition, if only one only knows one thing only, and is not open to what other people are thinking and saying about things, ah, there's a problem. <laughs> It's <laughs> a problem. Yeah, decide, it, it, you, one has to be open to a lot of alternatives to be able to be, begin to question. You know, for instance, I don't know about Ghana, but in Nigeria, in fact, all across Africa, a lot of the radical movements begin in the diaspora. Right? Okay. Like in Nigeria, the NSAS movement, a large part of it was influenced by the Black Lives Matter movement, by remnants of the Arab Spring, and so on and so forth. And the diaspora was funding deeply the movement of the this thing. Even independence movement was a diaspora movement. Kwame Nkrumah and so on and so forth. They were at uh, the universities in the UK, France, yes. and the United States. And why is it that the diaspora is often a, a, a foundation for those kind of movements? When you go and see how differently other societies are organized and they've not died, <laughs> you begin to ask questions. Why is our home not going in that direction? <laughs> right? Right. <laughs> but if, if all you know is this, right, then you cannot think otherwise. Then you cannot begin to discern otherwise. They can't begin to question, right? Oh. And that's the challenge. So uh, especially for young people, reading <laughs> is important. Reading, and I don't mean just reading in, in the schools, it's a lot of reading and memorization, but I also mean a reading that is critical, that is critical, that questions, that sees that the world is, there's no one right answer, right? right. Um, and we need to have that. I know you guys have this uh, Ignatian Reading Club, in, in, and I was excited to hear about that. Uh, that's also a, a kind of good space for discernment to happen. Uh, um, or the attitude to begin to build. And then finally, this one is presupposed. Wait, but I, hold on, before you give your final word, hold on, I want to say something. All right, welcome. So I'm um, saying, Father, before you give your final word, you have actually got me thinking a lot. Like <laughs> from start of the, even before we click record, <laughs> the way I you look, I've still been thinking. And I mean, you are right that when you say um, you're not reading a lot, it's, it's part of the reasons why we are not getting to know um, things or we are not getting to start the whole discernment process. And also the fact that you talked about like intimacy, more like deep conversations. I, I believe that that's very important because sometimes you can speak to somebody and you're like, ah, you're not deep and you're not able to continue with, with that. But I, I believe it's, it's it's going to take a while and gradually we'll, we'll get to we'll get to that space. Ikea, do you want to say something before Father says his final words? No. Let's go. <laughs> <I'm> Thank <thinking>, you, please. <laughs> but it's true, I generally don't know how to read my God. It's Thank true. You, uh, this is your this is your no. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> no, the thing is, I think I I don't know. As I okay, I've met people within Africa that take reading seriously, but as a culture, you know, here yeah, like you exactly. move around because current currently I'm in Rome. You know, where do you stumble on a library on the continent? <laughs> you see, <laughs> it's you know, it's 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 I don't know. <laughs> it's scary, kind of. Um, so that I I don't know. It has to be. For instance, you know, when I when I was mentioning that in order to descend, mm -hmm. uh, one needs to know who one is. You yes. know, and I limited it to knowing who we are as as uh, children of God. Yes. But what I didn't also mention is also that includes, for instance, as Africans, knowing who we are as Africans. Yeah. You know, for instance, when I don't know whether many of you have seen this report on on bleaching. Yeah. In Nigeria, it's an epidemic. In fact, yeah. I, when you go, when I go to buy my body lotion, you have to struggle to get something that is get the original. Bleaching. Yes. <laughs> Because you, you buy, you go home, you put, the next thing you look like Michael Jackson, right? Takes a while for it because <laughs> the, the, the assumption is already that everybody wants to look like Everybody that. wants to bleach, yeah. yeah. Then you now take the hair that young ladies put on, right? Uh, you know, that's, that's, that's big foreign exchange. <laughs> <laughs> you know, how, how do you explain that? So how do I stand in the presence of God and pray when I am not even comfortable in my skin and how I look? You see? That's a stroke. Um, yeah. That's a or stroke. we had in our novitiate those days, they, 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 we had them because they had started also introducing that kind of theology in our house of formation when I joined the Jesuits. So in our novitiates, we, we have uh, crucifixes of Jesus, but they were not of a white man. They were made by the Yoruba, Yoruba artist. So the crucifix had the, the, the man on it, the Jesus on it is a black man. And I remember a particular incident, someone had just entered the novitiate. So we entered his room to greet him and we noticed the crucifix was not there. So we're like, ah, you mean you don't have a crucifix in your room? He says, well, I, I can't pray looking at that stuff. So we're like, where is it? And truly, it was under his bed. <laughs> wow. <laughs> it was under his bed. You know, so we brought it down and said, you know, why do you have a problem? He said, no, is this Jesus? We're like, why is it not Jesus? <laughs> yeah. Why not? Why he became he took flesh, and that flesh includes yours. So yeah. for instance, that's also something that um so if we, we are not comfortable with who we are, our identity, or you have, you know, a lot in Nigeria it happens a lot. I don't know whether it happens in Ghana. Someone goes to the UK and stays for two weeks, drinks the water there, comes back, and he has an accident. You know, if he stayed two weeks so far, when they land, when they land at the Just airport, and my friend landed now, hi, how are you doing? I'm like, yo, man, you landed. <laughs> if you mean that I'm not there, I have it. <laughs> And you're like, ah, what in God's name is going on here? <laughs> uh, or you notice it more when people are quarreling, right? Yeah. In, especially in a place where they want to respond. In Nigeria, we like the question, do you know who I am? Yeah. Then he, he, there's an accent coming up. You know, you, you know who I am? Yeah. You're like, okay. <laughs> you're Queen Elizabeth. <laughs> 
So that's also part of it that um, um, if, if we don't get to that point where we, yeah, we know in our bones and are confident in who we are, uh, even in our family backgrounds, uh, you know, not everybody comes from a rich family. That's okay. You know, not everybody has to have parents that are prime ministers or, you know, but that's okay. But you meet people and that's the first thing they are doing is they're lying about everything, right? <laughs> so that's already, you know, that's already part of the, this thing I always mentioned. And I think we have a lot of work to do, not only on the reading side, but on the part of those who produce the literature itself, you see, um, to produce things that help us think and appropriate and become confident in our identities. Uh, you know, that's the only way to go for, especially for young people. And that's when discernment can begin to happen, like solid discernment. That, you know, there's a difference between discerning and just uh, mimicking, right? Right. <laughs> uh, a, a lot of what we see is mimicry. We copy something that somebody else is doing not only in terms of products, but in terms of our lives. <laughs> our lives are also spiritual products, <laughs> you know. Um, yeah, so that's, that's, uh, that's it. But, you know, the final point I wanted to make is that uh, discernment is not decision-making. Mm. In decision-making, you are looking at alternatives and you're looking at how to optimize, right? So those that do the probability calculus and rational choice theory, they know what it means. So you look at the two alternatives, you, you calculate their utilities and probabilities, and you come up with, with which choice is better between the two, right? So in decision-making, you're looking at two choices, A, B, or three choices, A, B, C. In decision-making, in discernment, it's not about A or B. It's about me in my relationship with God, the supreme being. Wow. It's not about the alternatives. It's about me in my relationship wow. with the Supreme Being. So if I don't have a relationship with the Supreme Being, if I don't have a spiritual life, I cannot discern, but I can make decisions. Oh. Hey, today the, I was thinking about to ask, what are you? You are talking about probability, randomness. <laughs> like what? What? The obvious. Hey. Okay, we are not learning. No. Philosophy, like, bro, I have to go and start studying philosophy because my brain almost in one statement he has given probabilities, calculus, decision making, discernment, philosophy. Hey, psychology. My God, wow. But Father, I I I love the last point, especially that discernment. It's not decision making where we have alternatives. Ikea, Ikea, what are your key takeaways from this episode? <laughs> know thyself. Ah, it's critical uh, in everything. And, and, know thyself. Know thyself. And yeah. Mm -hmm. And the rapture of that one. And the fact that we need to read. Please, the youth. <laughs> Like <laughs> <laughs> we need to read it's not about the irish but it's 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 really true because i feel like we have limited ourselves to what we read on social media we feel as if reading tweets and instagram captions That's so is... we are thinking like yeah. our tweets yes like we are thinking about characters. characters hey jesus <laughs> 
really serious. Wow. 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 I mean, uh that's 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 we are thinking like our tweets. It's 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 very deep. So for me, Father, I want to say like a very big thank you to you once again for this. I, I think I even needed this more than my listeners. Oh, is that what I see? I tell people my the podcast there. I learn from it more than anybody. It's for it's for you before everybody else. Yeah, <laughs> like I I told them, I, I I finish an episode. I'm like, hey, God, like wow, today like I've actually learned that um, it's not just an accident if we really yes. think about things. I mean, even like this episode on the first Sunday, it's not an accident. Like nothing is is an accident, and so for me, I. I, I really love it. I want to, as as a as a friend of the Jays, where me where, where father is, I'm their friend. I want to live with um once leave everybody with one message I I learned from my retreat, and this is a poem by Reina Maria Rilk Rilk Rilk. Go to the limit of the longing. Yeah, <laughs> God speaks to each of us as He makes us, then walks with us silently out of the night. These are the words we dimly hear. You sent out beyond your recall. Go to the limits of your longing. Embody me. Flare up like a flame and make big shadows I can move in. Let everything happen to you. Beauty and terror. Just keep going. No feeling is final. Don't let yourself lose me. Nearby is the country they call life. You know it by its seriousness. Give me your hand. This is one of like my favorites. Um, whenever like I'm going through things, like I just remember, let everything happen to you. Beauty and terror. Just keep going. No feeling is final. Like if you think about it, everything you were when you were in JJS, you were worrying about BC. When you were SS, you're worrying about WC. Like no feeling is final. Let everything happen to you. And this journey, like core life, I mean, things will happen. Just, I mean, just, just go to the limits of your longing. And that longing for me is what Father was talking about. Like that persistence in your heart. Like what are you called to do? Like, what is your purpose? Like, you in that relationship with God, you are able to find out, like, what you what you hear or what you pant or what you long for. As the psalmist will say, like, my soul, as my soul yearns for you like a dear Jesus. My, my, my preaching is not coming. God! Uh, my soul longs for you like the dear longing for a running water. Yeah, that's that comes. Ah, oh, Jesus, I'm a good preacher. Anyway, so, yeah. <laughs> Like that's that's it. Like go to the limits of your longing. I just want you to think about this, and I think we should do a part two and part three. Crow, Ikra, what do you think? <laughs> every at the start of every quarter, then we give Father to come and then we do what? Yeah, to begin the year. Are you guys not tired already? <laughs> every quarter, then we start. Hey. Just introduction. So every quarter, Father come and give us. So. Um, Father, once again, thank you. Um, so listeners, we hope you are on your discernment journey right after this, right? And as you know, we are here to demystify the of the three C's accelerated overwhelming complexity and tremendous competition. It was brought to you by the Chris Coca and 
Should I say for you or you say it yourself? <laughs> Thank you all very much and enjoy. Happy new month and enjoy the rest of the content. Bye. Thank you. Hi guys. Hi guys. Hi guys. Hi guys. Thank you so much for listening through uh, sitting through today's episode don't forget to subscribe please don't forget to subscribe don't forget to share and remember i'm always available for your feedback all social media platform the chris Goka. mic check out